Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. When you're on the air in the places that we're on the air, you don't necessarily focus on everything local because local is different to everyone. Makes perfect sense. But there are stories that come out of Indianapolis, Indiana, where I live. I'm just north of Indianapolis. That absolutely could be applied, whether you're in St. Louis, whether you're in Tulsa, whether you're in Atlanta, whether you're in Bloomington, whether you're in Fort Wayne, wherever you are, the story applies because it's a conversation about uh, projection. It's a conversation about showing things as opposed to doing things. It's a conversation about what is it that people want to hear versus what is it that people actually need. In the case of Indianapolis, like so many cities across the country, it's a conversation of safety and security. It's a conversation of the lip service given to safety and security. It's a conversation of what it is we know to be true and how it is they lie to us and why is it that we accept it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Some broad ripple businesses revert to normal business hours, citing financial concerns. What kind of headline is that? It's from a a local uh, television affiliate, uh, WRTV.com. Broad ripple is a section of Indianapolis, section of Marion County. And it's known as, and it has been known for years, as a a nighttime hotspot. Butler University and other people, you go down, there are bars, there are restaurants, it's a great time. And lately, whether you want to call it over the past year, I'd really say over quite the last few years, it's become more and more violent. There have been more and more issues in Broad Ripple late night into those early morning hours. This is a place that stays open until 2, 3 a.m., well, they had uh, some violence there. They had, uh, I, I think it was a murder there. And then the city and the village association, Broad Ripple being a, a village, announced safety upgrades that included some bars closing at 1 a.m. People are acting violently. And the answer is the businesses have to close. Well, this is about the idea that someone has to be blamed. Someone has to be blamed. And why shouldn't you blame the business owners for creating a situation by which the violent element is out and about? Close at 1 a.m., you'll have less violence. Ta-da! Now you say to me, well, isn't that an attack on business? Well, of course it is. If you're a business owner who agreed to this, you're insane. But business owners did at the first agree to this, most probably because of pressure, not because of desire. Well, now as the story goes, a bunch of businesses are saying that closing at 1 a.m. hurts them. They do a lot of business between 1 and 3, let's say. So they're staying open. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. That's the correct answer. When dealing with an issue, the answer is not, well, business, the problem is you exist, which is what we see in a lot of places, blaming others. When downtown Indianapolis, like many downtowns across the country, had violence taking place 
post George Floyd and 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 the riots that took place, the summer of love, as they as some people want to call it. In Indianapolis, after already being destroyed, a bunch of businesses, fearing uh, some some repercussions about something, put up plywood over their windows, which many of them are already broken and weren't getting fixed. The local newspaper of record, the Indy Star, which is a terrible newspaper when it comes to these kinds of things. They've done some fantastic investigations before. They're the ones who who broke the Larry Nasser case, the so-called doctor working on uh, the women's gymnasts, the U.S. women's gymnasts, and, and abusing all of them. They did that story. When they want to do reporting, damn it, they can do it. In this, they said, oh, look at these business owners. They're the ones promoting violence. They're the ones promoting fear by putting plywood on their windows. Maybe the issue is the people breaking the windows. But no, you blame the business owners. And then in broad ripple, just like your city, oh, we're seeing violence, we're seeing murders. Blame the business owners. Indianapolis, Indiana, the IMPD, the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, is offering some residents free steering wheel locks. Why? Because there's been an increase in thefts of Hyundais and Kias. Hyundais from the model years 2015 to 2021 and Kias from 2011 to 2021 because these vehicles don't have anti-theft safeguards. Therefore, they're easier targets for car thieves supposedly allegedly in the letter kenny sense this has become such a thing that you have cities suing kia and hyundai indianapolis has joined in on that lawsuit suing kia and suing hyundai for people breaking into cars and they're offering up these 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 locks kia and hyundai are the reasons the people of Indianapolis are engaged in theft? You know, we've had record murders in Indianapolis over 200 a year for the past few years. And the mayor is running for a third term. This is the mayor who came in. He was going to be the law and order mayor. We had a a, a public safety director here in Indianapolis. He got rid of that. He's going to be his own public safety director. Things have only gotten worse. And his response, well, the NRA... What do you mean the NRA? Well, Indianapolis uh, now has constitutional carry, or Indiana has constitutional carry, which they signed into law uh, last year, and and therefore with constitutional uh, carry, people don't need permits, and that's leading to an increase in gun violence. First of all, gun violence. What a nonsense term. Secondly, you still go through a background check. You just don't need a permit from the state, which is absolutely correct. The Second Amendment is my permit, but you're still going through the background check. What the hell does the permit process have to do with anything? By the way, permits are still available in Indiana because if you want to take your firearm to another state, you might need a permit to make that transition from one state to another. But in the state of Indiana, we are permitless carry and rightfully so. They will throw blame at anything. You, because you believe in your gun rights, are to blame. The state is to blame. They never blame their poor policies. They never blame their lack of willingness to address the problem at the root level. They never, ever look at themselves. 
Just like uh, the indie star looked at business owners, they're responsible for any violence that takes place in downtown. Indianapolis looked to the business owners of Broad Ripple and said, you have to close down early. You're the reason that there's violence. And why are people stealing cars? Well, because the cars aren't protected enough. That's why people are stealing cars. Not the residents, not the the societal uh, failings, not the societal rot, the cultural rot. No, 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 no. Those damn Kia owners keep buying Kias. Now, I have stated before, and I've stated this on my morning show, I could protect all the Kias and all the the, uh, Hyundais in, in Indianapolis. And the answer is every night from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., Each Kia and each Hyundai has five armed guards around it. Five. Five guys, five men and women with guns ready to go. I bet you those Kias and those Hyundais will be super safe. Well, that's right. You don't don't want people in Indianapolis having guns. As a matter of fact, you want to pass legislation that says you have to be 21 to own a firearm. You want to have your own permit system in Indianapolis. Forget the rules of the state. These are things they want to do in Indianapolis. They're not able to do them, but they these are the things that the progressive left proposes when they don't want to deal with the real issues of societal rot, what's happening in their districts, and they don't want to talk honestly to their district because they're afraid of their residents. I mean, that's, that's the Indianapolis leadership in a nutshell it's a real problem for such a great city holy cow does the leader is the leadership is trash not only on on the elected side failing but on the civic side oh they, they'll all take the applause they all like the nice parking spots they'll all glad hand with each other and elbow rub i've been at those events but now the question is which one of you is willing to step up publicly and say this isn't working and the answer is no one No one, they won't say a word, not a word, nothing but this. It's really sad. The the lack of leadership, the lack of civic leadership, the lack of honesty, it's really ugly. And so much of this is because they're afraid. They're afraid they might say something about the violence problems in Indianapolis and they might get called a bigot. Oh, we know what you really mean. Oh, we know what you're saying. Oh, you're this skin color. You're not allowed to say that. Oh, you're not this. You're not allowed to say that. Leadership is about leading. It's about honesty. It's about direction. Never mind that there's no vision for the city of Indianapolis. There's nobody to even push the vision because the people who are in the positions to do so refuse. Oh, maybe they're doing it privately, Tony. They're doing it behind the closed doors. Show me the result. Show me the result. And then tell me how that works. And we see what we see on the streets of Indianapolis. And no one's discussing the societal rot. Culturally, you feel somebody slighted you. So the answer is you have to kill them. You have to grab a gun and kill them. That's what you do with every slight. Who taught that culturally? Who taught that trash? Why don't we put an end to that? Why don't we just say no? And if you even think that stuff, you're a schmuck. Why don't we admit that culturally that's a failed idea? Why don't we tell parents who allow their 15-year-olds to congregate by the hundreds on downtown Indianapolis streets, your job is to watch your kid. Nobody wants to hear about what you want to do with your life. You had the kid. Now you watch the kid. And that's the way it works. 
And how about such an incredible amount of police and other law enforcement as to prevent the ability to create the opportunities for violence. Because very often you have a lot of kids in downtown Indianapolis and then one thing will lead to another as you get to large unsupervised crowds. Don't even allow them to congregate, break them up. Tony, are you suggesting a curfew for people under the age of 16? Well, I hate that idea personally. I think that idea is awful because there are plenty of kids who are totally capable and some who aren't. But if we're going to force the idea that we don't allow the downtown of Indianapolis to be some dumping ground because parents don't want to watch their kids, then that's what it takes. And what I will get told is, oh, you don't understand. Oh, how dare you? All these parents are working three jobs. All of them? All of them. No, no. What you want to do is say they can never be held to account. You want to eliminate the conversations of personal responsibility. You did it in Broad Ripple. The issue isn't those people committing the acts of violence. The issue is the business for being open. Now, if you had a business that was providing alcohol to people without checking IDs or serving people who were knowingly drunk, you might have an argument there. I don't say that there isn't some level of responsibility needed by the business, but the business should not be held to account. They are not the blame for the violence. Now, are they? So good on these broad ripple businesses for saying we're going to open back up again. This is ridiculous because it is. It was the city and the village of broad ripple copping out to dealing with what's happening on their streets with adults and with kids and with societal rot and saying this doesn't work. You're wrong. And as a matter of fact, we're going to push back on it. So how about we invite people down to to downtown Broad Ripple? We invite people to come down and don't forget to come lawfully armed. I'm sorry, what did you just say, Tony? Come to Broad Ripple lawfully armed. Did he just say people should come armed? Yeah. Your way doesn't work, so-called civic leaders. Let's try a new way. You walk down the streets of Broad Ripple... Walk down the street to downtown Indianapolis. You don't know who's armed. Might be everybody. And those people are crazy. Those people who believe in the Second Amendment and train and stuff, those people are nuts. I ain't going to cause no problems. I'm going to go to where nobody's armed. That way I can get away with what I want. Whatever I want. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my approach is terrible. Or maybe it'll work. Why don't we try it and find out? We tried your approach, your cowardly approach, civic leaders, elected officials. And I'm not just talking about Indianapolis, apply your city. We tried your cowardly approach of blaming gun owners and blaming business owners. It doesn't work and it only destroys downtowns and and, and, and cool neighborhoods. So let's go the other way. Support the business owners by staying open and go down there and visit those business owners as responsible gun owners. Now let's see what happens. And while we're doing that, why don't we explain to people that if you feel slighted, well, that sinks. Yeah, that sucks. But it's no reason to kill somebody. As a matter of fact, if you're willing to kill somebody for being slighted, chances are you're a punk. Chances are you were raised wrong. Chances are you didn't learn the lessons of how you were raised. 
Anybody culturally who thinks if you're slighted, you should react with a firearm, man, that's nobody to pay attention to. Well, you're getting that from movies, you're getting that from music, you're getting that from books, you're getting that from literature, you're getting that from from, from art. Man, drop that stuff, because those people don't give a damn about you. Those people are sensationalist jerks. They don't have to live in your neighborhood. They don't have to live your life. They're not living this violent hellscape. Man, they got millions and they've got servants. Dear Lord, what do they know about you? But they're trying to portray some life that doesn't bring you any value. We see this all over the place. And let's say that's not it. Someone else might have a better idea than me. But I know that shutting down businesses is not the answer. I know that cowering in the corner from the evils in society is not the answer. I know this. I know that their way, the progressive way, doesn't work. So let's go try a better way. And let's try it today. I'm Tony Katz. Woman goes to McDonald's. Woman gets chicken nuggets and a Happy Meal for her kid. The chicken nuggets are hot. The chicken nugget falls out of the kid's hand because it's hot. And then against her leg, mom can't get it out of the car seat. Second degree burns on the leg. McDonald's has to pay up $800,000. What? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. That's the story. That's the story. It's a real thing. $800,000 because of a hot chicken nugget, because of a McNug. That's crazy. That, that's how the story happened. 2019, this took place. Mom buys the Happy Meals, hands one of the Happy Meals to her daughter. The nugget was hot, unreasonably and dangerously hot, mind you. Stuck in the car seat, burns her leg, causing second-degree burns. A jury said that McDonald's and the franchise owners were at fault for the incident. A jury had to decide how much they think the family should receive in damages. The family wanted $15 million. They got $800,000. Um, I, I think for asking for $15 million, the case should have been thrown out. Look, uh, a, a nugget can be hot. You know, you got hot oil that, that you're dealing with. I, I'm assuming they're fried, right? They're, they're fried. It's McDonald's. It's all fried. What am I even thinking about? Uh, and, and yes, uh, it could get caught in there. It could, be, it could be hot. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying some freak thing couldn't happen. $15 million? $15.15. Should have been thrown right out. Should have been thrown right out. This is insane. I, I think the lawsuit is is insane. I'm sorry the kid got burned. I am. That's that's awful. You don't want your kid burned? You don't want to see anybody burn? That's that's terrible. The the mother hopes that McDonald's will eventually offer some kind of warning for parents when it comes to hot food. You're telling me that they don't know? Everybody knows that the food is hot. It's just a question of whether or not it was unreasonably hot. And I don't even know how you determine that. I do not know how unreasonably hot is determined. The reasonableness of heat. If you go out to lunch or dinner with my father, if the food is not burning temperature of the sun hot, he sends it back. It's insane. 
It's the craziest thing I ever saw. I love my father. It's nuts. It's crazy. He does it every time. I don't know how you determine reasonableness, but 15 million is not reasonable. Neither is 800,000, as I see it. I'm Tony Katz. A framing way of looking at the summer that has struck me is people saying it's a hot summer and it's likely to be the coolest summer that we experience going forward. What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, it means that's the the trajectory we're on right now. Uh, As we continue to burn fossil fuels, put carbon pollution into the atmosphere, we're warming the planet. We're getting a little bit of an extra kick this year from an El Nino event. It's a natural warming in the Pacific Ocean that actually warms up the whole planet a little bit. So you can think of that as a little extra octane, uh, you know, added to the fuel of human-caused warming. And that's part of why we're seeing such extreme temperatures But a big part of it is the fact that the planet is warming and it will continue to warm until we stop dumping carbon pollution into the atmosphere. That's Michael Mann. Michael Mann is famous for for providing that hockey stick graph you saw from Al Gore in that movie, An Inconvenient Truth. The problem is that was an inconvenient graph because it wasn't accurate. Michael Mann got so mad at people who got mad at him for noting that that graph wasn't accurate He sued everybody under the sun. And now here he is on CBS this morning getting rehabilitated because across the United States and, yes, in parts of Europe and others, it's hot in July. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Let me bring in Anthony Watts, senior fellow at the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. You can actually catch his latest podcast, Climate Change Roundtable, number 72, Heat Waves, Fires, and Climate. Oh, my, the madness continues. And, you know, when you when you put out a, a statement like that or, or a headline like that, uh, Anthony, and you've got a long history uh, co-authoring peer-reviewed papers on climate uh, issues uh, and a series of, of publications, people think that you're downplaying the idea that this is a man-made uh, global warming. Before we get to Michael Mann's commentaries, talk to me about uh, the, the weather that we're seeing. Talk to me about the heat uh, that we're seeing. Is this something that's really out of the blue and really different from other heat waves experienced in the United States or around the globe? No, it's not. In fact, in 1936, the United States experienced its worst heat wave ever. And this is still on the record books. And it's, it's verified by the Weather Service and NOAA and EPA and everybody. Bottom line is 5,000 people died during the great heat wave of 1936. Today we have a heat wave, and we're not getting thousands of people dying. We're adapting it you know, much better today. Uh, and so, you know, this, this screeching that's going on in the media about it, it's horrible, it's unprecedented, it's just simply hype. Now, before let, let's just make sure we're always on, on the same page. We have much better technology today. We certainly have air conditioning today. We can handle heat better. Temperature to temperature, was it hotter in 1936? It was uh, sustained a longer period of time in 1936. Hotter temperatures in total throughout the United States were greater and more widespread. And so, you know, it's, it's just simply they're trying to garner your... 
support for their cause. I mean, this is all about a cause. Global warming, now climate change, is a cause. And the cause is a socialist agenda for the most part. They want to control your life. They want to control your gas stove, their, your barbecue, what kind of car you drive, uh, you know, that sort of thing. It's all about control. And if they can make you fearful, they can control you. Now, one of the things that you discuss over there at heartland.org uh, is you don't make the argument that there aren't changes that take place to climate. Your argument, your sustained argument over time is that it's not a crisis and the predictions and the pronouncements as you uh, you write about it, as it's written about you at Heartland, are oversold. So as you would, how would you define your your theories? Well, you're right. It, it is being oversold. Like I just said, it's about pushing an agenda. And so, uh, you know, there was uh, one climate scientist now deceased uh, who said that we need to create these scary scenarios in order to motivate people. I mean, he actually went on record. Steve, Steven Schneider was the climate scientist. He went on record saying that we have to create these scary scenarios to motivate people to change. And, and basically, that's what's going on here. Yes, it's gotten warmer. Yes, we've had some some heat records this summer, but it's not unprecedented and it's not a crisis. We're managing it. Thousands of people are not dying because of it. And I will point out that climate is something that happens over a minimum of a 30-year period. Weather events are not climate. And all of these heat waves are short-term weather events. They'll go away in a day or two or maybe a week. They're not something that is sustained like climate is. And there was one other thing going on. We have the El Nino going on in the Pacific right now. That's a natural event that's been going on for millennia, well before climate change became a glimmer in the eye of science and socialism. And so as a result, we have a warmer planet because of El Nino. The planet naturally warms. We also have something that happened last year. The Hunga Tonga volcano erupted in the tropics. It spewed something like 50 billion tons of water into the atmosphere. And surprisingly, most people don't know this, but water vapor is the most important and the most powerful greenhouse gas. And you can prove this to yourself. Drive to Florida and experience the humidity. Then drive to Arizona and experience the dryness. And the difference is, is that in Arizona, the temperature will plummet in the desert to down like 40 degrees at night, even though it might be above 100 during the day. Whereas in Florida, the temperature will hardly change due to the humidity and the atmosphere retaining heat. Talking to Anthony Watts, Senior Fellow at the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. Let me go back uh, to this clip from Michael Mann on CBS uh, this morning. Just a little bit more of what he said about uh, the weather as he's describing it, climate. If you turn on your your television set, read the, the headlines, we're seeing unprecedented floods and heat waves and wildfires that, um, you know, are doing real damage now. So dangerous climate change has arrived. And here's the reason it's not a new normal. New normal makes it sound like we've arrived in a new situation. We just have to figure right, this out. This should how have to, happened anyway. Yeah, we just. Yeah, exactly. We can adapt to it, figure out what to do. But it continues to get it's a moving baseline. It will continue to get warmer and we'll continue to see more extreme weather events if we continue to burn fossil fuels and and pollute the atmosphere with carbon his words it's unprecedented heat flooding and wildfires you're already saying that's not true is michael mann gaslighting here 
Yes, he's absolutely gaslighting. I would call it torchlighting myself because he's just really flaming on this stuff. But here's the thing. The number of wildfires in the United States, for example, was much more than it is in the current scenario. We have data that goes back into the late 20s that shows that wildfire was much greater. But what happened about two years ago, since it was starting being used as an argument about, you know, wildfires were greater in the past and therefore climate change is not fueling wildfires in the, in the present, it was removed. The National Interagency Fire Center, NIFC, actually removed the data and set it so that only data from 1983 onward is displayed. They did that on purpose and they just basically hit it. Then there's the idea that, you know, we're having record temperatures. Well, I talked about 1936 being hotter and huge heat waves. Severe weather events are not getting worse. If you look at the data, instead of listening to these torchlighters, you will find that the number of tornadoes in the United States is actually declining. It has been for several years. The number of hurricanes has not changed. We haven't seen fantastic, massive hurricane outbreaks. In fact, we experienced a hurricane drought from about 2005 on uh, for almost 10 years. And it didn't, we had no major hurricane making landfall on the United States. And we haven't seen any of these increases in severe weather that they claim. And this is all predicated on models. You know, the models say the future is going to be terrible. Well, the bottom line is, is that these models do not accurately predict the future. And one of the worst models out there that they use, a favorite of Dr. Michael Mann's, he's called RCP 8.5. Well, two years ago, science said, nope, we can't use that anymore because there's not enough fossil fuel left on the planet to be able to reach that scenario. So therefore, it's implausible and impossible. So let's not use it anymore. And yet people like Mann and the media still use it to push these scary scenarios. Let's talk a little bit about Michael Mann, which is a dangerous thing to do when you're in my business because this is a guy who is lawsuit happy even casual conversation honest conversation where there is no disparaging but rather a look at what has been said and what is real can lead to lawsuits but in order to have an honest conversation one must actually have it is michael mann considered a serious voice still in this world or has his theories going back to that hockey stick graph been debunked enough that he is not taken seriously by the people who are serious the real climate scientists out there the ones that are serious and study they distance themselves from him and there's a book that was done by mark stein uh, you know the commentator used to be on rush limbaugh uh, about michael mann and he provided quotes from Michael Mann's colleagues. And it got and Mark Stein sued into all sorts of you don't believe it. I know exact. I, I don't know Mark personally, but I know exactly what you're referring to. Keep going. Yeah. And Mann has sued literally anyone who said anything that, uh, you know, he finds offensive. And, and Michael Mann is the greatest blocker of people on Twitter. He's got thousands of people blocked, even people that just ask innocuous questions that he doesn't like. His ego, in my opinion, is so large, it's a wonder he can get through most doorways. <laughs> let, let, me, let me move back to something that you discussed on your podcast, the Climate Change Roundtable, which you can get at heartland.org. Heat waves, fires, and climate, oh my, the madness con continues. One of the questions that you, you state here is that environmentalists say that there is a serious threat 
to human health from particulate matter in the air, usually 2.5 parts per million. But is it really as big an issue as they claim? Certainly with these uh, Canadian wildfires, us here in central Indiana have felt it. I've been in D.C. and felt it. I have been in upstate New York and felt it. I've been in Canada, not felt it, which is super strange. Um, Are we at a place when we talk about some of these things or do we have uh, an issue with, with air quality, whether it be from these wildfires or from this heat in general? Well, let me give you a little bit of uh, correction. 2.5 stands for PM 2.5. It's not 2.5 parts per million. It's the diameter of these little particulate things in the atmosphere, 2.5 microns. So tiny little little particles. Secondly, there have been many periods in the past where we have seen, uh, there was a thing that happened in New England, uh, New England's dark day, where there was, this was like 200 years ago, where there was so much smoke in the atmosphere that, you know, they had to light candles at noon. And so these kinds of things have happened before. And yes, we do have pollution that happens from wildfires, but that's happened forever. It's not something new. And we also have such progress on pollution, real pollution. For example, look at Los Angeles, the pictures of Los Angeles during its heyday of smog. Go back and watch an old episode of Chips, you know, where Ponch and John are riding their motorcycles. It looks like they're driving around in a fog. And Indianapolis had the same kind of thing. The bottom line is, is that we've cleaned up our atmosphere and our waters and our lakes and streams tremendously tremendously. We've had great progress. And yet, if you were to listen to the folks today who talk about pollution, they would give you the idea that it's worse than ever. But the bottom line is it's not. We've made great progress. But as for the these these wildfires, and, and you're talking about the microns, right? PM 2.5, meaning the size of the particulates. And thank you for the correction there. Um, these, these wildfires uh, making air an issue as you see it? Well, they do produce these particles, yes, but they always have. It's nothing new. And, yes, these particles do stick around for a little while, but they eventually fall out of the atmosphere as dust, and when it rains, they get washed out of the atmosphere. The atmosphere naturally cleanses itself. The real issue with PM 2.5 is that now the climate alarmists and the the eco-whalers are out there saying, oh, it's happening inside your home now. Your gas stove is making, you know, 2.5 particle emissions, and therefore you have to get rid of your gas stove and go to electric, and therefore, you know, so forth and so on. They're using this as just another argument to control your life. And the bottom line is, is that, you know, unless you're burning wood inside your house to cook with, like some people do in India, or dung like they do in Bangladesh, you're not going to really suffer from 2.5 particulate matter. It's just simply overblown and now we see it in in hot water heaters we're, we're adding regulations in in the furnaces of course the, the the stoves um and as you describe it all for all for narrative all for an ideology but not for reality no it's not and it's all about control here's the thing if you can control energy you can control everything and that's what's really going on here I mean, imagine, for example, you know, all the people that are screaming about, we have to stop using fossil fuels, no more oil, no more coal. What if the, what if the fuel companies one day decided, you know what, we've had enough of this rhetoric and abuse, we're going to shut off the tap. Can you imagine what would happen to society in the space of a couple of days? There would be absolute madness and chaos. And so 
the bottom line is, is that these, these addicts that they're pushing on us are not reachable. We cannot replace oil and natural gas with solar and wind. You know, why are we pushing solar and wind, which are re- reliant on the vagaries of weather and sunlight over something that's reliable that works 24-7, 365? Again, it's about control. Anthony Watts, you can find his work at heartland.org, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, heartland.org, senior fellow at the Heartland Institute. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There is more to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Devin Archer joins the board of Burisma in like January of 2014. He brings Hunter uh, into the board like in March. Uh, It's publicly announced in May. And the vice president of the United States, the father of Hunter Biden, is in charge of the administration's efforts to encourage the uh, Ukrainian government to crack down more forcefully on corruption. And yet one of the targets of the corruption probes in Ukraine is Burisma. Now, how could Hunter Biden's involvement in Burisma never become a subject of conversation between his father and him when his father knows that he's on the board of a corrupt board? Correct. That's Karl Rove. You gotta start coming around to this reality. Everybody's on board. This whole conversation about Speaker McCarthy following my advice, or really following William Jacobson's advice, you need an inquiry. You need a committee to take a look at impeachment, to understand what Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were doing with the potential of bribes and everything else. You need the investigation from Congress, not from the Attorney General, not from a special counsel, because the Attorney General and a special counsel from the Attorney General cannot be trusted because they possibly slow walk the investigation into Hunter Biden and the tax fraud with the IRS. Everybody's on board now. The Biden crime family is aptly named at this stage, and investigations are needed from Congress. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.